Welcome to Blended by McGraw-Hill. Hi, I'm Wes, Head of Customer Success at McGraw-Hill. On this episode of Blended, we'll be chatting to Alex James from Exeter University. Alex is a Senior Lecturer in Strategy, author of Crafting and Executing Strategy, and a user of McGraw-Hill Digital Solutions Connect and the Business Strategy Game Simulation. Our chat today covers the modern students, the current needs of higher education courses, and Alex's latest publication, a brand new case study collection, looking at how businesses adapted to the pandemic and life after it. Hope you enjoy the show. So I guess sort of the, the, the first place I really wanted to start with um, is looking at, as we've come out of the pandemic and we're starting to get a return to normalcy of, of how students students are interacting and about uh, how they're engaging with with university what do you think what do you think has changed and and what do you think this kind of this new intake of students what do they need what's that modern student need from their from their teaching and from their course I think the biggest change and and this has been in in a lot of articles I've read in I, I suppose things like the Chronicle of Higher Education and, and, and some of the more, I guess, popular pedagogic um, journals and articles is that students are less inclined to come along to face-to-face, despite the fact that they missed a lot of face-to-face during the, the, the pandemic. Um, face-to-face is less popular. And I think part of that is because they've got much more access to digital resources and those digital resources which saw them through the pandemic and actually which many of us uh, spent a lot of time and 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 thought developing during the pandemic um are almost sort of countering our move to get them back into the classroom because they're going well there's these great digital resources out there that that i can use so i don't necessarily need to go to every face-to-face um encounter with with the professor with with the with the lecturer and I think to a certain extent, um, that's good because actually it, it allows students to um, go for the learning materials that best suit their learning style uh, and that, that they learn most from. Um, but in a way, it puts a lot of onus on, on us, the, the teachers, to, to make those face-to-face encounters unmissable. Uh, and that's quite a lot of pressure in a sense. In, in a way, I think what we'll need to do is we'll need to put the same kind of thought and effort that we put into developing those digital resources into developing really exciting face-to-face encounters, really exciting face-to-face sessions that will engage students and, and bring them back onto campus. Um, and I, I think that's probably the that's probably one of the biggest changes. The the use of the digital resources, particularly. Uh, tends to be quite um, sporadic, I think. And this is something, I guess, that you tend to see where you've got the the learning analytics. And and that's something that I found using Connect with with my master's students. I was able to see how they were accessing, when they were accessing stuff in much easier, uh, in a much easier way than, than I could from my own university's VLE uh, data, uh, and I have to say that that's one of the that's always been one of the big sales for me with Connect is, is that I can just literally click a couple of things and and I've got a report which which shows me what's going on. 
Whereas if you're using some of the other VLE setups, you have to get somebody to run a special query for you or, or you've got to go through quite a rigmarole to actually get out the data uh, in the same way. So having that instant sort of dashboard stuff is really helpful. Um, and, and you see that the use of the, um, the, use of the materials, um, for the Keen students, they're using it all the time. They're kind of, you know, they do follow the structure that you set out in your curriculum. They're doing the exercises on a weekly basis that you've you've set for them. For others, it tends to be something where it's it's quite sporadic. That they they will dip in. They will do uh, some of the exercises you set. Then they'll disappear for a two or three weeks, and then they'll come back and they'll do another sort of intensive burst. Um, for those. Certainly some of my colleagues that have that have run exams, they, they tend to find that everything bunches up in the preparation for the exam. So it, it tends to be sort of, I guess that's the students that in the past we would have called crammers, the ones that disappeared for the three or three or four weeks before the exam because they were just intensively revising for, for, for that. Um, and we can see that in quite a stark way, I think, um, when you look at the the the, the learning analytics. So there's there's a you know a lot to be said for that um knowing when uh, the the materials are being accessed but also i think knowing what's been accessed you know what stuff plays well with the students what what stuff do they engage with um and and, and uh, again if you can see that for example you, you know um as you know with with crafting and executing strategy we did a lot of video cases and putting up those video cases um, with the questions attached to them as a almost as a starter for 10 because a lot of them um, we've we've got case studies attached to them I mean for example with with the Novo Nordisk um, interviews with Mike Duster we, we've got a, the new case book has got a Novo Nordisk case study which sits alongside that you can use it as a, as a, as a gentle way in um, and you know they watch a couple of five minute videos get a flavor of the company um, and that brings them into the case study with a bit more insight. It, it's it's not quite as good as having a guest speaker there for a for a fifty minute lecture, but you know in in, in these days it, it's pretty tough to get people to uh, to actually turn up. And mm. and with students not necessarily coming onto campus, it's also a very high risk activity. You get a guest speaker in, you have a half empty lecture theatre. And that could be a bit of an issue. So I, I think yeah. having the, the the vignette videos, the sort of five, 10 minute, um, five, 10 minute slots, uh, and some of them a little bit less than that, uh, have, have been very useful. Um, and as you know, we've, we've done, uh, updated that resource with um, some stuff that we recorded with Gina Head, who's the brand director at Galaxy, and Neil Seber, who is the managing director of, of TOS, the, the salad bar, um, mm. the salad bar company. Uh, and that's again, I'm really looking forward to using those resources. Those are resources which are new for this this term, and I'm I'm busy uh, over the summer. I've been writing them into my uh, into my curriculum for. Um, um, for for a couple of my modules, so so I'll have to let you know how those pan out, whether they are popular as resources. No, that, um, that, that, that sounds that that, that sounds. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that uh, how they turn out. Actually, and I just wanted to pick up actually when you're saying about um, you're talking about structure there, sort of when you're laying out these different sorts of resources. Do you think that obviously you know you've been you've been lecturing a more than a couple of years um 
do you are you seeing uh, that students are needing more of that kind of organized structure for how they learn um a lot of the feedback that I, that I get from 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 other uh, other people I talk to in sort of these situations is that you know the need for scaffolding and for structuring the learning has become much more intense um from students is that something that you've seen as well I, I think during the, this was definitely a feature during the pandemic that the the scaffolding was was needed because there wasn't the peer interaction in the same way and the the, the sort of the encounters that you would have on the margins you know talking to each other in the lecture theater having a conversation with the the professor after the lecture um were that some of that was there but very often it was absent in in that online in that online environment and and so there was a need for more structure uh, and i think as students have come through from you know the last two years of schooling that many of them had were in those sort of pandemic situations or or if they've coming from a master's degree the last two years they were at university were they've got used to that scaffolding and i think it's very difficult once you've kind of added features to a product if i if i use kind of a marketing uh, you know well you know my background is marketing so i'm afraid i i, I kind of think like a marketer even though i uh, you know, teach at a university, so so maybe um, that you can't take features out in, in in easily once you've put them in. I think one of the things that the scaffolding did was, uh, as you say, give give structure. And uh, actually, we produce so many resources very often as as, as professors that um, we overwhelmed students sometimes. That, that there was too much for them to to actually look at. So in a way that structure and particularly helping them to prioritize um has become i would say probably the main thing so yes i agree with you with structure but if i kind of nuance that a little bit i think it's it's about helping them prioritize what they should look at um a lot of students are incredibly time poor i i know that sounds strange you you and i probably remember being at university and appearing to have lots of time on our hands but you know, current students very often have part-time jobs because you know they're they're paying off huge loans um, in in many cases, or they want to get the work experience. Um, they do a lot more coursework in some ways than than, than students in the past, and uh, actually a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, so that there's there's they have very full uh, very full lives, and. Uh, also, a lot of other things that uh, I mean, you know, certainly when I was at university, social media didn't exist. You you went out and socialized face to face. So um, there are there are lots of other things which they are grappling with. Um, so I think that prioritization, helping them to focus on on what is really crucial for um, their learning, is is a very important part of that structure. Um, I think we have to be careful that we don't put in uh, that we don't keep adding uh, and we don't add too much there because one of the things that we have to be very mindful of is that university is about self-directed learning very often and we need to create learners that are self-directed and are able to learn on their own um, without a huge amount of guidance so i think it depends on the level you're teaching if, if you're teaching say first year undergraduate 
then you probably need to put a lot more structure in than if you're teaching a final year group or even if you're teaching, you know, specialist master's courses. Um, but yes, I agree that structure is there. Um, the scaffolding has become important. I don't think we should remove the scaffolding we've put in place as a result of the pandemic because it's added good value. But I think we have to be careful that we don't end up spoon feeding students, that, that they do have um, agency um, and they do manage their own learning and take responsibility for that, for that learning. Because in the end, that's what employers are going to want. Employers don't want people who are going to turn around and go, well, I need more scaffolding. I need more support. But they, most employers, in my experience, are saying we actually want self-starters, self-reliant people who can manage their own time, manage their own learning, manage their own um, careers. So I think there's a balance to be struck. Um, some structure is good, um, but also allowing students to go off and, and pursue their own ideas and their own um, their own learning is also something we need to encourage as well particularly as they progress through their degree yeah absolutely no the, the what you're saying there about the scaffolding makes a lot of sense um it's it's a really there is always that balance between the the, the spoon feed aspect and the and 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 leaving people too much uh, sometimes to own devices and yeah where where they're particularly new into the university that's that's quite um that's quite apparent. Um, <laughs> one of the one of the things we've been exploring actually um, is around incentivization, um, because I think you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. That a lot of the time, you know, academics instructors will will create lots of content, particularly over the pandemic. They created tons of content without any real way of um, holding people accountable for looking at it or not looking at it. And I've sort of come to the idea that. It's not about incentivizing everything. It's about, you know, as you said, prioritizing. What are the things that I need them to do? You know, do I need them to do this reading? How do I incentivize that reading? Do I need them to do these, you know, practice quizzes or questions? How do I incentivize that? Is that is that something that you've that, that you've ever you know, you've seen work or or, or or seen not work when sort of you've got sort of small stakes incentivization? Yeah. It's um, something which, if you remember, I, I mentioned the, the business strategy game element. Um, I've been using that since 2016. And one of the things that appealed to me about the design of the simulation, the, the business strategy game simulation, was the, um, the, the fact that there were multiple elements in it that helped students to engage um, so for example you you've um, you ask them to read the, the the handbook which is which is how the the simulation works and you give them a little quiz there's a, there's a you know multiple choice question exercise which uh, I mean I, I do it as a small percentage of their um, module mark and it, it's not so much that it's going to kind of ruin their degree or or, or you know um, be a, a real issue, but it's enough that it matters. Uh, and I think, in terms of incentivization, I think very often having um, some sort of grade um, uh, grade element to, to those resources that you really say that they have to engage with is is probably one of the most common ways of of, of putting an incentive in place. 
Um, I, I'm not sure I, I would necessarily subscribe to the, the attendance contribution in class type frameworks and models that I know some of, uh, I know that's quite common in the US and I know some of my colleagues who've taught in the US have, have brought that to Exeter. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of that um, personally because I, I think it's, um, um, well, as, as we said earlier, I, I think as, as, as a, a teacher, you, you've got to make the the face-to-face -face things compelling rather than um, putting in some sort of, you know, penalty for, 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 for not getting involved. Um, so from, from my point of view, yes, I think, I think there's definitely, um, benefit for that. And the good thing about the simulation is that because they do the quiz, because they reflect on, on the process and, and what the simulation's about, it actually means that they make a better contribution in the simulation itself when they're working in the teams, running the company together because they've read them the, the the handbook and because they've taken the quiz then they make a much better job of that but also from from my point of view i can see who the weakest students are um either because they haven't engaged or because they're perhaps struggling with some of the the materials so it, it allows me to target a usually quite a small group it has to be said uh, and actually work with them more intensively to bring them up to speed uh, and I think that that's also an, an important element. Very often, um, when you look at uh, a lot of curriculum in, in higher education, it, it tends to be that there's an assessment at the very end. Uh, and to my mind, that's actually quite weak design from a, from a pedagogical point of view. What you want are more staging posts. So in a sense, if you put incentives in which are to do with exercises that, that have grades, it's actually good for you as a teacher because it allows you to understand where your students are um, much more, uh, much earlier on in the module. And that means you could intervene if for, for, for those students that are struggling rather than it coming to the end and then they're into the sort of resits um, territory, which, which is not healthy for anybody. We, you know, you want to catch people and help them to succeed rather than pick them up after they failed. Uh, and I think for, from my point of view that having those early uh, incentivized exercises is, is quite a good way of doing that. Um, the simulation works in, in a similar way because there are multiple rounds as well. Uh, and, and you can set up to 10 rounds. Each round is, is hypothetically a year in the life of the company, uh, even though it's often played out over a week or a few days. Um, and as the results come out for each round, um, one of the things I do is I, I have consultancy meetings with, with the groups of students so that the teams can come and book a consulting meeting with me. And, and we talk about the performance of the uh, of, of their team, the, the, the company. Um, I, I mean, I don't tell them what to do, but, but I, I act as a sounding board and a sort of a coach to, so that they can throw ideas at me and, and we can kind of think about things together. Uh, and again, that's very helpful. It, they they tend to learn a lot from that process, and that's actually quite informal. It's it's you know not a classroom encounter. It, it's something that happens in in my office hours, as it were, or in time booked. It just you know groups of students coming onto my office or or meeting on Zoom or um, or Teams. So you know from that point of view, I, I think um, that small incremental elements counting towards the grade as, as an incentive to look at certain things um, actually works very well. 
um, certainly in uh, in the business uh, the the business subjects I teach, so strategy and marketing. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm very glad that you see that. I, I spend a lot of time uh, even when I was in the sales team of looking at you know assessment design and 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 how how assessment actually functions and works remind me i well i've written it down in here um we actually had a piece of work done uh, not a piece of work one of our digital faculty consultants um recently published a paper um that was about um midterm assessments and predicting final final assessments and has done some really good use she uses connect doing some really good granular granular analysis of how did they perform here? She, you know, has three opportunities midway through and can identify and predict where they're going to end up finally. And actually having kind of that that modeling data is it, it's really quite interesting, actually. It's it's certainly um it's certainly worth a look. Um and she's made it look nice, which means I didn't have to tweak it and and prettify it, which was great. Um but yeah, it's it, it's one of those things with I think particularly with students having coming in, particularly those coming in now and, and sort of over the last couple of years that complete lack of particularly at school reliance on exams i think has created a big a big shift you know the the now second years third years who are in you know university was the first time that they'd done exams for you know two years three years mm-hmm. um and i i've never been a a big subscriber to exams as being a good, uh, a, a pedagogically sound method of assessment because it's how much can you, how much can you remember and write down in in two hours as opposed to the, the you know the seventy five hours you've spent over the last, uh, over the last three weeks kind of thing. It's um, yeah, and 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 there's there's some evidence that they actually do disadvantage certain groups. So um, that there's a uh, there's a lot to be. Um, there's a lot to be discussed in terms of how we how we manage assessment in the future. I mean, when I've done exams, my preference has always been case exams and open book. So so they get given a case study in advance of the exam, and and some of the, the case studies that are in the case book, I they first started as case exam case studies. So that's why they they're quite kind of comprehensive in nature. Um, they're given the case study. They're allowed to take notes in. It, it's it's uh, open book from that point of view, and and interestingly, that chimes with with some of the professional um, assessments that they'll do later on. For example, Chartered Institute of Marketing or uh, ACCA or, or or CIPD, where it, it's less about your ability to remember, as you said, it, it's more about your ability to reason. Uh, and I think we should be moving in that direction as 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 a higher education community um I, and i understand why people want to set closed book time constrained exams because that there's a fear that and, and we know that plagiarism and, and academic misconduct have um actually gone up during the pandemic for a whole variety of reasons um the, the, there's a fear that we're not going to have robust results from the assessment we do but it's a question of, as you said, design, and we need to be much smarter about how we design assessments. Um, you know, the, the closed book time constrained exam is is something really that probably belongs in the nineteenth century, um, in or, or you know the twentieth century. We need to be much smarter in in the way we use technology, 
the way that we use um, different ex assessment formats. And that's certainly something I'm involved with in Exeter. I'm part of a working group that's looking at um, assessment reimagined is what we call it. Uh, and, and that's being led as a, as a cross university um, working group looking at this and, and looking at how we take this forward. How do we design assessments which are robust from the point of view of, of not um, encouraging or, or rather encouraging academic, good academic conduct, um, but also are fit for purpose in, in our kind of 21st century connected web 3.0 world and, and and i think that's a big challenge that, that we have to rise to and in a way the pandemic shook us into that which is a good thing so you know th these things as as they call them structural breaks as, as as we strategists refer to big changes in the macro environment structural breaks uh have threats but they also contain lots of opportunities and and the pandemic has been an opportunity to rethink assessment um, and actually embrace some of the things which perhaps we we saw as threats, the, the, the technology elements. Let's build them in. Let's try and make this into something which uh, will function, um, is robust, because we need to produce um, graduate outcomes which employers and, and the other universities will trust. But at the same time, the world has moved on. You know, we're not sitting back in the, the sort of the 20th century anymore. We're in a new world and, and we, need to, uh, we need to engage that. Uh, otherwise, we risk being irrelevant. Uh, you, are, you, are, you are very right. Um, I might recommend, actually, if you're looking at that kind of assessment reimagined stuff, um, so that everyone always thinks I bang on a lot about Coventry, but it's because I was very heavily involved in a lot of their design work that they did for their their curriculum so they they moved to a a two-tier system for level four and level five um for assessment so they had core assessment and applied core applied so the core assessment stuff became pass fail that was your basic knowledge that was the stuff that you you know if you read the lecture notes and you read the book you could you would you would pass and they'd give you a passing grade so give you a 40 percent and you'd proceed and then the applied and that was all done um the, the, the course I went, we built that into Connect and we built that into continuous assessment. So the students had four opportunities in a term to reach the required pass mark for it. You know, they would have it be uh, pooled assessments at the end of, you know, for each of these. So they would have to do 30 questions in I don't know, 30 minutes, I think it was something like that. But those 30 questions were drawn from 250 possible questions and each time they did it they'd get new ones so as they redid it and they improved and that was their pass fail bit and that then enabled the instructors to then go down the route of okay let's look at applying that knowledge and now we can do our subjective marking on how good of a pass are you based on how well they actually did something how well you know, the, you know how good they were in their labs or what their lab results were like or their, what their marketing plan looked like um, and that was quite an in that was quite a fun experience to sort of go and and look at and work through and they're kind of moving towards that continuous assessment model for mm -hmm. level four and five in an ongoing kind of ongoing um which is it, it's an interesting it's an interesting move we see more more 
funky assessment types coming up, particularly after the pandemic. Um, yeah. That's yeah, just I, always interesting. I've I've heard George Julaine talk about this. Um, so so yeah, no, I know I'm I'm familiar with some of the business school elements, and uh, and of course, as you, as you know, um, Maureen Meadows is at uh, Coventry as well. She's she's a professor of strategy. So. Um, Sad, nice. Sadly, sadly, author of a competitor to my textbook. Boo! But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, um, I've known Maureen since Open University days, so uh, I wouldn't begrudge her success on uh, <laughs> on that on that basis. Yeah, the uh, the 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 ever the ever attraction of instructors towards Coventry. I, it got to a point where I was having to give them like when a new instructor would come in, they'd get introduced to me by somebody else, and I'd have to say, right, this is the system you need to use for to do that. Oh, and here's a reminder about this program and this project that you're supposed to feed into. I swear, by the end of it, I was doing more orientation than their own internal systems were. Uh, but it was um, yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's it. I, I think you're right with the the kind of the adaptation to the the modern, what that modern student needs and what a modern course should look like. It's it. The pandemic did do a huge amount in accelerating. I think I remember you know conversations had before before digital was required, before online learning was required. You know, you'd get people. Mm the people who would come and engage around online learning already had pretty much had an idea of what they wanted to do. And they were just looking for somebody to help them to do that and help them to do that. And then kind of post, as we were kind of going into the, into the pandemic, it was very much, I've been, the instructors were, were in the mindset of, I need to do this. It wasn't, a, I would like, it was, I need someone to help me do this because, you know, my my department head has said we've got to do this or my course needs to have xyz and now we've come out of it on the other side uh, yes you're right you can never go back once you've once you've um once you've offered those things it's difficult to to pull back the uh i was talking actually with with one of our other dfcs who teaches in accounting um and some of his students have come up to him since they've been back on campus and said why can't i do this online why do I have to come into court? Because his his university they require attendance, mm, and mm. they said, "What? Why do I, it's it's clear that you can offer the course because you did for two years with nobody here. So why do I have to be here?" And there's no real, there's no strong answer to that. I think you can't really say, uh, "Well, you know, we, it, it, you can't say it's essential because it clearly wasn't." Um, and so it was. It's it's quite an interesting um, navigation, uh, I think. For, for university to get to, to get through and you know get people coming back in and get yeah I, I i hesitate to say get back back to normal because there were plenty of uh, plenty of uh of bad practice uh, bad practice bad pedagogy bad course design all over the place beforehand you know i think people are now starting to think a little bit more actively around how digital can enhance rather than it being a reluctant oh i suppose i will now it's a, oh some of that stuff worked quite well yeah and and, and i'm going to keep keep you know a little bit of it not all of it but some of it uh, it's, it's kind of interesting i mean i i um cut my teeth with the teaching with the open university many years ago as a, an associate lecturer so i i kind of uh, i guess i i grew up as a as an academic with with digital having come from commerce um but because I'd worked in marketing and, and you know, 
digital was was something we had to embrace as as, as a, a group of professionals it didn't seem odd the open university didn't seem odd or advanced from that point of view it was only when you came to other universities and realized they didn't do this or they were just getting to do this that you suddenly went well hang on a minute how how are you not doing this in in the, the current world i i mean i i was the only person in the whole of the business school at exeter that used wikis um in this was in 2010 and it was it was people going what? first of all they go what's a wiki um and then they go why are you using this for students to write a just let them do the group work on their own um and and i mean i know kind of wikis have, have kind of you know they're, they're not past their sell-by date but they've become commonplace rather than unusual uh, and i guess we moved on to all sorts of other collaborative software mural is 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 the kind of big thing that we've been using um and, and people use things like padlet and and, and wakelet and, and and all sorts of other technologies which actually are new versions of it's it's kind of old wine in new bottles um you know th there have been um articles since i suppose the 19 late 1990s early 2000s looking at using collaborative software whether that was forums whether that was um you know wikis whether that's murals whatever it happens to be um and and actually that's just something which as you said has become mainstream instead of being innovators by using this you're now simply um doing something which is which is quite commonplace uh so that's kind of challenging for those of us that like to be innovative we, we need to find new ways to be innovative but that's great you know uh, and uh, I, I think it, it being pushed um to take things further is always a good thing so who knows what uh, tomorrow will bring yeah exactly the uh, uh the one of my long-standing criticisms of of higher ed so i've, I've worked all the way up and down the, the education ladder is that is how slow moving almost by design most higher ed in institutions are you know it takes you know if you want to change something for if you have an idea to change something you normally have to wait until the next the next year around to submit the fact that you want to make some changes and then that has to go off and be approved and then that has to go through a third round of, of review and then you're looking at two three four five years down the line to make what a lot of people might say oh that's quite a small change but in mm. the, it by by design it often seems you know you you have to really drag people over over to your way of thinking in order to to get any change through so it's the the almost in a way that the the level of of competition between universities now and particularly between different courses within you know be, between universities at a similar level in kind of rankings and things like that i think is quite is it is an interesting um it's an interesting vein to mine at the moment i, I have a lot of um Obviously, I you know, work all up and down the, the 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 university rankings and the difference in mentality. It's very you can see the groupings very much so as to what the mentality, what the mindset is, and it's normally about you know which number comes at the front of front of your of your TEF rating, or your you know your in the university's list. If you start with a if you don't have a number before your uh, before your first digit, then 
you do something in this way and if you're down towards the bottom if you've got three numbers in your in your university listing you think about things in a very different way it's 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 a fascinating um fascinating field to look at um but sorry i've realized we, we've we've <laughs> meandered all around I'm, it's 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 fantastic stuff to talk about i'm i'm already thinking there's lots of stuff here that we can go and use but i guess okay. one of the things i i, I wanted to ask kind of more specifically because you know funny enough you're an author um was to talk <laughs> a little bit about the new case study collection that's that's just been made available so could you tell me a little bit about about what's in there what it's trying to do um so that we can we can help people to understand what's what's inside well, the, the the case study collection has come as a result of, I guess, the the case studies that I developed during the pandemic. Um, because one of the things that struck me, as we talked about structural breaks, was that a, a lot of organisations and a, a lot of individuals have been impacted by the, the the pandemic. And as we move out of that into, I guess, what what the people at publicists uh, call the next normal rather than the new normal. Um, you've got a, a real change going on in terms of people's business models, in terms of uh, the way of doing business, and there have been winners and losers. Um, and, and this was something that, that really struck me. I, I didn't want to be sat there in, in class like some of the, the people who taught me uh, or who I experienced teaching with after the financial crisis you know 2007 2008 where they were teaching stuff and students were looking at it and going this is irrelevant we had this financial crisis and and you're not kind of addressing it in the class so from that point of view um developing a, a set of um case studies that actually were current that that had an opportunity not just to discuss the pandemic but to discuss a whole range of other issues that we're sitting alongside the pandemic. And I'll give you an example. One of the case studies was about one of the winners in, in the pandemic, Hornby, who, who make model railways and, and all sorts of other models and toys. And uh, uh, Although, actually, they're, they're more of a collectibles company than a toy company. And they saw a huge growth because people didn't have a lot to do during the pandemic. And they kind of, you know, there, there was a certain comfort for middle-aged men in, in, in nostalgia going out and buying a train set. And playing with that or scale electrics with, with their with their, their children uh, I guess as part of the homeschooling um, and however it wasn't plain sailing for them um, they had brexit to contend with as that went through they also had things like the the crisis with shipping containers because a lot of their uh, manufacturing was outsourced in in Asia India so they couldn't fulfill a lot of the orders they had this big boom in orders and they were struggling to fulfill that those orders in some cases that, that they were having to be very agile in in the way they operated um so you had all of that sort of element going on um you had other businesses like novo or disc that were i suppose almost pandemic proof because they're producing they're the world's largest producer of insulin um, and obviously diabetics need their insulin, whatever. So there were challenges to overcome, but it wasn't a question of supply and demand necessarily. So there's a different element to look at there. Um, one of the other winners was, was uh, the music streaming site Spotify. Um, uh, uh, you'll probably remember um, that 
the 2013 edition of, of, of the textbook had a, a small end of chapter case on Spotify. Um, I've continued to use the, the, the case, but what I do is I update them every year or every couple of years as, as the, the situation changes. And it was kind of great to see that, uh, again, people were making more use of Spotify. Um, and then we kind of saw that there was a, if you like, a pandemic boost, but then things start to tail off as people go back to work. And now we're seeing the, the, the you know, the cost of living crisis. Um, news that's coming out now is that people are cutting down on subscriptions. So uh, again, you know, supplementary elements to think about how that happens, uh, how that changes the, how that changes the situation. Uh, most of the reason for choosing the cases um, was really that they were good stories. And I think that's a, a very important element with a, with a case study. You want it to be a good story, um, something that, that people will engage with. And in particular, I, I think where students can identify with the, the, the company in some way, um, whatever that happens to be, however they um, see it as identifying, perhaps they're consumers. Um, I, I certainly know that, that, you know, Spotify, we can have good conversations in class. Even those who have perhaps only scan read the case can talk about the music business because they experience it as consumers. Um, we also had um, perfumery um, and, and, and um, health and beauty company, which is Shishado. Um, I particularly like that company because it, um, it gave a, a good insight into how um, some of the Asian companies are very, very different, uh, have a very different philosophy to European companies in the same sector. Uh, and, and certainly, um, I, I know at Exeter, we, we do have quite a lot of Asian students uh, on our master's programmes. Uh, and it helps to have to talk about brands that those students are familiar with. So we we, we also wanted to make uh, a good mix of of um, uh, a good mix of of, of cases. Um, I also included one on on Newcastle United, um, the, the the takeover which involved a a certain Middle Eastern uh, a certain Middle Eastern regime um, or their their Crown Sovereign Wealth Fund. Uh, and there were all sorts of issues about that, around ethics, around um, sports washing. Um, so, uh, again, it's a good story, but also it allows students and, and professors to have discussions uh, around wider topics. So case studies, yes, you can look at it purely as a business problem. But very often the case studies I write, I like to be thinking about a, a, a sort of a bigger issue that the case study is an example of, uh, and whether that's sort of, you know, ethical behavior, um, whether that's technology change, um, whether that's, you know, uh, business agility, having that, that kind of wider view of the world, having those, those wider ideas is, is, a, is a really important element. Now, um, what we've done with, with the cases, obviously, is we, they, as you know, they've been packaged up as a sort of a separate um, supplement with, with all the cases from, from the other from the, the previous book. So you, you don't lose the, the, the old favourites. If you, if you want to go back to Accor or Tesco or, or Waterstones or, or some of those that appeared in previous editions, then they're all there. But the new case collection means that you can sort of say, well, OK, um, 
I don't have time to update this particular case or, or to signpost materials which will update it. Um, I can I can use something which is which is pretty current. It's got a current issue attached to it, uh, and and as you'll know, we've produced pretty comprehensive teaching notes for for those. There's also um, MCQ questions, uh, banks of questions that students can can access, um, and you can set those as as um, pre-reading, or you can just use them as an exercise for students to self-study. Um, the teaching notes have a, a lot of other resources attached, so that you can use those and, and they're just resources I use myself um, you know whether it's a, a BBC report or, or a newspaper article or even in Hornby's case a, a, a link to um, a link to um, the the UK TV channel that, that has been running that's a 10 part you wouldn't believe this there's a 10 part series on Hornby called Hornby a model world 10 hours of inside track on what Hornby does um, so if you use that as, as your case study, you just, <laughs> you know, the students have got loads and loads of background. Um, so, yeah, there's lots and lots of um, lots and lots of materials that, that we've linked to that. And then, of course, as I mentioned, we've got the two videos. Um, Gina had talking about Galaxy, the, the relaunch of, of the Galaxy brand. Uh, including the, the Mars's first move into vegan chocolate, believe it or not. So some really interesting stuff around there uh, and how they've been, I guess, responding to the likes of Divine and Tony's Chocolate Only in, in uh, trying to make their supply chain more ethical. So there's kind of interesting elements there. And, and this really kind of heartwarming story about um, Neil Seber's um, company Tost uh, about this, great idea for, for healthy eating that really um i guess the pandemic had done for um and it's risen phoenix like from the ashes to, to to kind of come back and and you know neil's faith and enthusiasm for for the whole project comes across in in the video he's um uh, I, I suspect lots of people looking at the video the videos will sit there and go god you know what i'd really like him as a boss um uh, you know he's he's good he's very open and he tells it like it is uh, you know there's there's some kind of great stuff there um so so yeah we've we've actually pulled together um what i think are some really interesting resources and um they're, they're resources i developed for my own classroom use um so i know they work in the class and i know students like them um i, I actually you know uh, the modules I've used them with have, have had some of the highest student satisfaction ratings that, that I've had in, in the last 10 years. So um, if that's an endorsement for, for the materials, then, then you couldn't get much better than that. And um, yeah, from, from that point of view, I'm, I'm really looking forward to using the, the, the videos, which I haven't used in class yet. Um, and, and as I said, we'll see how they go. Yeah, no, definitely. That sounds... Um that was a really that was a really really well done concise overview of what's in those cases i i have been inviting you back to some more of these indeed, uh, pretty indeed. soon i'm more than happy to brilliant sounds good okay well, thanks so much alex it's great to catch up with you again all right I'll, uh, great. Speak to you soon. all right cheers wes thanks. okay bye, bye now that's all we have time for today my thanks to my guests for sharing their perspectives with us and for giving us an insight into their world. 
If you'd like to learn more about what McGraw-Hill can do for you, please visit mheducation.co.uk. Links are all in the show notes. If you've got something to say and would like to get involved in an episode of Blended, please get in touch with us too. Until next time, I've been Wes, and this is Blended.